0: Well, if you will, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 13. This is, uh, I'm not going to do an exposition of the verse, and I'm not going to read it right off the bat. This will be sort of a starting point in our study of the confession. And uh, I don't think it's even a reference in the confession, but I think it states fairly clearly a point that we need to understand. Uh, before I begin, let's pray. Father, we thank You so very much for the opportunity to come and to gather again as the people of God, uh, to open up the Word of God, to hear You speak. Lord, I pray that You would impress upon us the, the, the wonder that is found in the God who speaks and reveals Himself to His people. Lord, Your in Your grace, You even... Show us our need for You so that we will cling to You. Lord, we uh, thank You for that. So as we look at Your Word and as we look at our uh, confession of faith, I pray that You would uh, strengthen that faith. Lord, I pray that You would build unity in the hearts of of this congregation, that we might be unified around the truth of Your Word, and that that would bind our hearts together, uh, of course, all in... in, uh, to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. So remember that we're looking at the chapter, chapter 6, that is entitled, Of the Fall of Man, of Sin, and of the Punishment Thereof. Paragraph number 1, I called, I gave the title, The Entrance of Sin, looking at the sin of Adam and Eve as sin comes into the world. The second paragraph I called uh, officially the effects of sin, or we could say the effects of original sin, uh, namely total depravity. And that's where we spent our time last week, open up that doctrine uh, that we typically refer to as total depravity. Now I want to just recap a little bit of that, and then we'll move into paragraphs three and four tonight. Remember that depravity, the word depravity means corruption. The roots of our depravity are found originally in Adam's sin. We see in that paragraph 2, the first words, our first parents by this sin. Because of their sin, something comes to us. The basis of that depravity that comes to us is first Adam's alienation from God. We read, Adam and Eve fell from their original righteousness and communion with God remember there's a logical progression there if we fall from righteousness we're severed from God and so Adam and Eve are alienated from God another way to say that is dead in sin I'd recap that a little bit this morning cut off from the life of God or the life that God is and this depravity this corruption that found its root and basis in the sin of Adam but then spreads, to all mankind affects all of the parts of soul and body. In other words, and that's the, we would call that the totality of man's being, body and soul. The soul of a man, that immaterial part of a man, is now alienated from God. He's alienated from God in the mind. He's, his lusts and the passions of, of a man are... Of the flesh, they are contrary to God, and therefore the choices that we make, while we are functioning freely within the sphere of fallen human nature, we are unable to affect any change or alteration in our nature. We can't do anything contrary to or to change our nature as human beings. And then the body, of course, the the physical parts of the body uh, are mortal. Every part of our body will someday rot in a grave unless the Lord returns. Now I want to read from Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23 because I think this summarizes the point that needs to be made here, the point that we we need to grasp in all of this. It says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. The point there is that you can't affect any change in yourself contrary to what you are by nature. You can't do that. It's, it's your nature to be who you are. That's one of, the, uh, one of the problems of total depravity. Man alienated from God, contrary to God in his nature... That's what we get. Human nature. Fallen. We can't do anything to change that nature. Now, we've got to keep all of that in mind as we continue to the next paragraph. The confession sort of brings us back around to the main topic. So maybe you you notice in these paragraphs a topic will be brought up and the confession will sort of trace it out uh, horizontally but then comes back and the next paragraph will kind of pick up where that one started. So, Paragraph 1 talked about the fall of Adam and Eve. Paragraph 2 begins, our first parents. And then paragraph 3, they being the root. We're right back to Adam and Eve. But every time we come back to that source, we're tracing it out to a different uh, application or doctrine. And so we come back to paragraph 3, and the confession is going to bring us back to the primary topic, which is redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have to understand our state and our condition in sin. That's crucial. But it's most important that we understand what that has to do with our relationship to God, with respect to salvation. It's no good to just say, well, I'm a sinner, or well, I am depraved. The point is, now that you know that, how does that relate to salvation in Christ? And so that's that's the general theme or the flow of the confession at this point. And so then we come to fed, or, uh, paragraph 3, which I have entitled, and ever, ever so creatively I might add, the federal implications of total depravity on the nature of man. Originally I think I just called it federal effects on the nature, which is fine in that outline, but I'm trying to draw out a little bit more. So I'm using that word, Federal. We've used it some. You you hear it a lot probably more outside of the church than inside of the church. But the word federal originally was synonymous with covenantal. The word federal meant covenant. So biblical federalism or biblical covenantalism carries the notion of representation. Covenantal representation. So anytime you hear the, the, the word federal, we're thinking... Covenant, we're thinking, covenant, heads, covenant relationship, covenant relation or uh, a representation before God. Let me just summarize very briefly, hopefully that you know this. All men relate to God by means of a federal head, a covenant representative that represents men before God beneath one of two covenants. All people are either in Adam or in Christ. You either stand before God in the covenant of works, which Adam already broke, so you're you're helpless there, or you stand before God in Christ as a member of the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace having already been kept on every part of it and sealed in the blood of Christ, it's done. That's biblical federalism or covenantalism and, and you, you could just flip the page in your confession and see, chapter 7 is called Of God's Covenant. So that's the direction we're going. Remember, we, we, we read the confession sometimes side to side because it'll say things that it assumes we know something about. So that's the direction we're going. Covenantalism or federalism. But here in this paragraph, federalism is already opened up and, and sort of explained a little. It says, They being the root... And by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind. That's federalism. They, referring to Adam and Eve, it says being the root, skip a few words, of all mankind. Adam and Eve are are our first parents. They are our natural representatives, we might say. We all come from them. Acts 17, 26 says that God made from one man every nation of mankind. So there is our church's official stance on racism. It doesn't exist. There are two races, Adam and Eve, or Adam and Christ. That's our church's official position. We all come from one person. So they are the root of all mankind and it says, by God's appointment, standing in the room and stead... Of all mankind. That again is our federal representation, the the language of federalism. God appointed Adam and Eve to stand in the room and stead of all mankind. Now, that again might be new language. You you see this a lot in the old writers, but not so much anymore. The word room simply means place, room stead means function of another. If I do something instead of you or in your stead, I'm doing something that you were supposed to do or were planned to do. I'm doing it and not you. I'm doing it in your place. That's what stead means. In the stead or in the function of somebody else. So God appointed Adam and Eve, and, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say primarily Adam, as the one standing in the room instead, the place and function of all mankind the human race as a whole was represented by Adam in the garden that's again federalism explained federal theology covenant theology that's the gist of it there's obviously a lot more and we'll get into that in the weeks to come when we get into the next chapter so how does this apply what does this mean for us If Adam was in our room instead, what does this mean for all mankind generally? Well, it says in the confession, he stood in the room instead of all mankind. The guilt of the sin was imputed, and we'll skip a few words to the the end of the next comma, to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. The guilt... Of the sin, the sin being Adam's sin, or we could say, if you want to put it all together, Adam and Eve's sin, seen as one singular unit, a sin, a, a transgression, a sinful act, the guilt of that sin was imputed to all their posterity. Every person who comes from Adam and Eve, what is guilt? Guilt is liability to judgment. So the liability to God's judgment incurred by the sin of Adam comes to all their posterity. All men then now are liable to God's judgment naturally because of that first sin. You're, that guilt has been imputed to you. And it says, and the corrupt nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. The corrupt nature, that's what we talked about last week. The nature is the essence of a person. Your nature is what makes you a human. Or we could say human nature is what makes a human a human. That's your nature. Sometimes you might read, someone talk about the whatness of a thing. What is a human? However you define that, that's... Nature. Your nature, or the Adam's nature, which was corrupted, depraved, is conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. So that corrupt human nature, what it means, what is the essence of being a human being is corrupted in Adam and then it's corrupted in everybody that comes from Adam. So they get corrupt nature, they get guilt for Adam's sin. The human nature, again, body and soul, we saw that last week, is corrupted. Here, just this is a technicality, just if you're into technical phrases and you want to be precise or you want to uh, nitpick people's words, like I sometimes like to do, just nitpick people's phrases to be an aggravation. Technically, we do not have a sin Nature. We have a human nature that is corrupted by sin. Now, I know most people, when they say sin nature, they're not trying to be technical, so maybe that's not a good point. But but technically, we have a human nature. What am I? I am human. And that nature is corrupted by sin. Now, here's where the the confession gives us scriptural references. And you can turn here uh, to Romans chapter 5. We've been here over... And over and we're going to continue even in this paragraph uh I believe the the confession references romans five twelve again I believe it was Martin Lloyd Jones who said that this passage Romans five twelve to nineteen is one of the most important passages in the whole of the bible this is this is the essence of the of the one of the um, Parts of the essence of the gospel. You cannot understand the theology of the Bible. You can't understand the gospel if you don't understand Romans 5 12 to 19. So that's why they continue to come back here over and over. And I think he even said, I think Lloyd Jones even said it is one of the mo- more difficult passages to understand. So it makes it maybe the most important passage of the Bible because. It carries a lot of weight, and it's really hard to grasp. and you put that together and you've got a potential problem. The confession references it here just to, uh, I think just to point out the uh, representative relationship that we have with Adam and with Adam primarily, but you can't read it without seeing Christ as well. beginning in verse 12, "Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned and then paul adds a little parenthesis a big parenthesis for indeed sin was or for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin was not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam who was a type of the one who was to come. So notice we've already got one man, but then we've also got the one who was to come. But the free free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following so, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So you see over and over one man, one man, one man, one man, one man. I forget who it was who said in, in, in redemptive history there are two men there's the first man and the last man, the, the only ones that matter. 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I'm just showing you that language more. Verse 45 of that same chapter. Thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The man of dust being Adam, the man of heaven being Christ. Two men, first man, last man. These are all all that matter in, in in the grand scheme of redemption. So federal representation, generally applied, means every person descended from Adam's loins finds himself in relationship to God. Everyone. We like to say, well, Christianity is about a relationship with God. Everybody has a relationship with God. And that relationship is mediated by one of two covenant representatives. You are either represented by Adam, and that's how your relationship is mediated. Adam who broke his covenant, or by Christ who kept his covenant. All who are in Adam are dead in sin. All who are in Christ have been made alive To righteousness. That's federalism. Covenant representation and its general effects. Notice how this also applies to each individual person. The guilt of the sin was imputed and corrupt nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation being now conceived... In sin, All their posterity being now conceived in sin. Conception is a very personal thing. We talked about this a little last week, that we are conceived in sin. A mother conceives a baby. The baby is conceived by its mother. That takes place in the fallopian tube. Now, Christy knows why I asked her that question this week. All men, all human beings, are conceived in a fallopian tube. That's your conception. All their posterity being now conceived in sin. Remember last week when we talked about what that phrase means, in sin. You're, You're conceived in a state characterized by going beyond or falling short of God's perfect moral standard, never complying. That's in sin. And that is because they are receiving from their father all the way back to Adam at least a piece of genetic material that was corrupt. Now, I'm not uh, prepared to go any further than the, the genetics of it. But we at least get a piece of genetic material from a sinful father and we are conceived in the womb of our mother. The Scripture reference is Psalm 51 and verse 5. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. On this passage, we see the two different uh, stages of bringing a person into the world. I was brought forth. That's the language of Delivery. And in sin did my mother conceive me. That's the joining of a sperm to an egg to form a new person in the fallopian tube. That's conception. In sin did my mother conceive me. So David says that at his conception, he was in a state characterized by or as alienation from God. And the other reference is Job 14 and verse 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Whose father is without sin? Nobody's. Whose mother is without sin? Nobody's. So, so which human union can bring forth something that is without sin? Nobody's. It can't happen. It's not possible. So we are, all, all the posterity of Adam and Eve are conceived in sin. And so that means, the confession continues, that we are by nature children of wrath. We read from Ephesians 2-3 last week. Paul says very clearly, uh, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What is your nature? It is human. So that means all humans are, Or as humans, you are descended from Adam. You are recipients of His condition. What's His condition? Separated from God. You are in His state. What's His state? Going beyond or falling short of God's perfect moral standard and thus at conception, because of human nature, you're under God's wrath. The only way to get away from that is to say that at conception, you're not a human yet. You don't have a human nature. So we are by nature children of wrath. Another of the specific uh, applications of this federalism is that we are servants of nature or servants of sin by nature. By nature, children of wrath, comma, servants of sin. That means by nature. Because we're humans, we serve sin. Sin is our master. Sin calls the shots. Sin drives the car. We just get in and it takes us. Paul says in Romans 6:20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. To be a slave of sin means that you are free from anything that would bind you to righteousness or godliness at all. Nothing compels you that way as a matter of fact everything in you compels you the opposite direction. servants of sin By nature, we are subjects of death. We are alienated from the life of God in every way, in every part of our human nature. Romans 5, 12 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, sin came in, and so death came with it, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Not all are sinners or all continue to sin or because you came along at one point and and committed a sin because all sinned past tense when Adam sinned because he was our federal head. We We are alienated from God because His corruption spread to us. and Corruption spread to all men. So, at whatever age a human being is liable to death, it is at that stage that we can confirm that person has been imputed the guilt of Adam and stands alienated from God at whatever stage a person is liable to death. And it goes on. Servants of sin, subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. These are all the manifestations of the death that we are in. We are dead in sin. Spiritually dead, temporally dead, eternally dead, or judicially dead. These categories all bring with them certain miseries. Spiritual death brings with it spiritual animosity. We spiritually, religiously, Naturally, we don't like God. We don't want Him. We're not looking for Him. We're not trying. Spiritually, we are lazy. Spiritually, we have a lack of knowledge and the understanding that we need to come to God. Those are miseries that come with it. Even as uh, Christians, we can see these miseries continue in our bodies where we struggle to believe, struggle with spiritual laziness, struggle to comprehend Christian doctrines or, or believe and trust in the truths of Scripture. Temporal miseries like sickness, bodily ailments. I've got a sprained ankle. That is a temporal misery that comes with being born in sin. All of the struggles that we have in life to meet our physical needs. Remember Adam with the sweat dripping from his brow, slaving away to try to live. That's a temporal misery. And also eternal miseries. By nature, at conception... We are subjects, all men are subjects of eternal misery. All of those are the federal implications of total depravity. Now when we hear that, or especially the natural man hears that, or even the converted man for the first time, we tend to think that's not fair, right? It's not fair that one man would sin Because of that one man's sin, here we are. And And we can't do anything about it. We can't fix it. A couple of answers, four answers to that objection. Number one, you don't get to decide what's fair. You're corrupt. You don't know what's fair. Your fairness is corrupt. It's broken. Secondly, you don't have any ground to stand on before God to represent yourself. Because you're corrupt. Thirdly, getting closer to the point, do you really want to represent yourself? Remember Adam? Created upright and perfect. No no inclinations either way. He fell. How well have you done so far that you would say, well, I I I think I got this. You don't. And even more importantly, the most important thing, if it's not fair that one man represent the many in the fall, then it's also not fair that one man represent the many in salvation. You've got to take the whole lot. So how does this federalism apply salvifically? Well, the confession just sort of hints at it a little, tosses us a little phrase here. One man was the source of the fall. One man is the source of salvation. This paragraph ends, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. We are in a condition that we can look at all day long and shake our heads and and wring our hands and say there's nothing we can do. We are helpless. It's not fair. I wish I would have had another opportunity. None of that matters. All that matters ultimately is this phrase, unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ delivers us from death. The children are those whose flesh He partook of and all of those children He delivers from the fear of death. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul refers to Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is the deliverer. He is the second Adam. Because of original sin and total depravity, all people stand liable to the judgment. Christ Jesus comes to take to Himself, take upon Himself that penalty and deliver us from the wrath to come. Now what's... Well, it's funny, the confession doesn't really dwell much on Christ at this point. It just jumps into the next, continues, kind of comes full circle back to the sin problem. But we're going to see more of Christ in the chapters on God's covenant, and especially chapter 8, Christ the mediator. Um, Let's look at this fourth paragraph quickly. We would ask the question then, What is now produced by this nature of ours? Or we could look at it this way. If I looked, if I walked outside and took a a survey of the landscape of humanity at any point in history, what would I be able to decipher is the nature of these uh, human beings in a a moral or ethical sense? What What fruit would I see? Notice this paragraph says... From this original corruption, I'm going to show you just sort of the 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 how it flows first. These long sentences with a lot of commas can be confusing. So I'm going to skip a bunch of words and read the beginning and the end. From this original corruption do proceed all actual transgressions. That's the point of this paragraph. This is the fruit of the uh, depravity that's come to us because of our representative head. We've all heard the phrase. Uh, We sin because we are sinners. That's what it's saying. A bad tree bears bad fruit. From corruption within flow sinful actions without. Wherever there are sinful actions, we know there is internal corruption. So when a small child rebels against its parents or acts out in selfish defiance... You're not watching a good tree bear bad fruit. You're watching a bad tree produce bad fruit. From this original corruption, do proceed all actual transgressions. Now let's look at the whole. From this original corruption, then the paragraph restates pretty much everything we just learned in the past two weeks, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil. Utterly indisposed means completely without qualification and indisposed means unwilling. Completely unwilling, without qualification, disabled, without ability, made opposite to all good. Naturally, we oppose good. And wholly inclined to all evil. So not only are we opposed to good, we're inclined to all evil. Like I said last week, it's not as though we're just leaning towards evil a tad. We are running for evil. We we love evil, naturally. Every human being conceived on this planet, even the ones in your laps, have the capacity to carry out the most vile and heinous sins against God that the human mind can imagine. Every one of them have that capacity because we are all by nature wholly inclined to evil. The fact that we don't, that our children may not, is an act of God's mercy, of God's uh, holding back, restraining the evil of men. So from that corruption utterly indisposed, disabled, opposite to all good, wholly inclined to evil, do precede all actual transgressions. That's specific sins committed, actions. They might be physical actions. They might be thoughts. They might be the settling of the heart upon an ungodly affection. All of that comes from the corrupt nature. Romans 8 verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For... It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The mindset is hostile. It does not submit to God's law. When you fail to submit to God's law, that is unrighteousness. That is sin. When you do not submit to God's law, you are in transgression and sin. And that flows out of the mindset of the flesh. Hostility toward God. Colossians 1.21 And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So you're alienated, cut off from God. Your mind is hostile to God. And what what actions come from that? Evil deeds. It's coming from that. James 1, verses 14 and 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The point there, we could draw out an additional point, is that every man is completely responsible for every sin. Even if we were to say, well, the, the temptation wasn't my fault. All that temptation did, all that occasion did was lure and entice the desires that were already in your heart. Matthew 15 and verse 19 says that out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Again, proceeding from the heart, the sinful flesh, the sinful nature come all sinful actions. Total depravity is our condition and our sin, our actions, flow from that condition. Now let's consider this in sort of a redemptive, salvific, uh, soteriological sense. Now we, we see where we are and we'll continue to look at where we are. We ask then, or perhaps someone asks, what must I do to be saved if that's where I am if, if I am what the Bible says I am what must I do to be saved the answer we give is repent and believe the gospel repent and turn to Christ in faith okay what is repentance repentance is a change of the heart and the mind towards sin or, or I should say from sin and toward Christ. What is saving faith? I said this morning, a whole-souled flight to Christ as mediator between God and men. I'm turning in my heart and my mind from sin and to Christ. Can a man change his heart and his mind towards sin and take to Christ as mediator a man who is severed from the life of God in all faculties of soul and body? Well, before we answer that, we could, answer, we could ask some more questions. Is he looking for God? The Bible says no man seeks for God. Well, can he think rightly about God? Does he know what he's turning to? No, he's alienated in mind. Well, but, but he can still love God, right? Well, he's actually hostile to God, naturally. What must we do to be saved? This man, his entire nature would have to be changed. He would have to be given a completely new heart. He would have to be given a life where there was once death. But our answer doesn't change. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and cast yourself upon Christ. And as we proclaim that message, what does God do? Ezekiel 36.26 says that He takes out the heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. John 3 says that we are born again. We must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that he creates a new creature. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says that this salvation is as if God were speaking light where there was darkness. It's like an act of, of creation again in the heart of a man. Colossians 1.13, God has to transfer us out of Adam and put us into Christ. That's what God does. We don't preach what God does in proclaiming the Gospel. We preach what man must do. What must I do to be saved? Repent, turn to Christ in faith. That's your responsibility. What does God do? God does His job. We read last week. We might not have gotten this far. Yeah, we did. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. By grace, you have been saved. Per- perfect, passive, completed action exercised upon you. You have been saved. Done. And this is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Salvation by grace through faith is a gift from God. Acts 5.31 God has exalted Christ at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 2 Timothy 2.25 God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Philippians 1.29 It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. God grants faith. God grants repentance. God must do it and yet when man asks what must I do to be saved we proclaim repent and believe the gospel and we can we can trust that the gospel proclamation will work because God has said that the gospel is the power to salvation we preach we tell man what he must do God in his sovereign uh, disposition of grace acts he mercies whom he mercies and he uh has grace upon whom he will have grace. So, let's uh, pray, and then we'll stand and we'll sing one more song. Father, we thank you for your your word, and we thank you for these men who've gone before us and who have, have wrestled, who have, in the face of struggle and hardship and persecution, who have uh, ironed out so many of these theological and and doctrinal details and of which we are recipients of this grace. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your continued work in the church, by Your Spirit that You would give gifts to Your church throughout the centuries that we might be benefited from them. God, we thank You most of all that You would give us the Scriptures themselves, Your Holy Word. And then You would give us Your Spirit so that we can understand your Holy Word. God, I pray for this church that You would even now begin to prepare our steps and our pathways this week. I pray that You would uh, give us, just from these words, a deeply held conviction that the Gospel really is the power of God into salvation. And that, that we would dare proclaim the Gospel this week in faith, that You will bring salvation to sinners through the preached gospel. Lord, forgive us when we have prayed and prayed and prayed for salvations and we've not opened our mouth. Lord, help us to be faithful to the gospel. And Lord, we worship You knowing that You will be faithful to the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.